0: The Word of the Lord Are <laughs> you yeah, kind of welcome. We're doing a study of the Book of Lamentations. This is our last week. I want to welcome Greg and Pam Rogers. Greg was the very first staff member we ever brought on at fullness. He and Pam uh, invested greatly, greatly in this body, and I'm always so thankful for Greg and Pam and. Uh, their lives and uh, what they gave to this place um it's a long time ago wasn't it yeah both of us had darker hair i I, greg had hair um anyway it was a long time ago and um you stand today on many of the things that greg poured into this place and so we thank him from uh from the bottom of our hearts uh Lamentations 5 is not all that uplifting. Did you just like, amen, amen, as the jackals were ripping and the hands were hanging and the skin was hot and the virgins were ravished. There was no, it just, it's tough. It was tough. When um, Nate and Cheryl Ross were a part of our church, um, Nate and Cheryl and I ran a great deal and together and they, they personality-wise, they're a lot like me. They like to read all these articles, and uh, we would always be running along and saying, did you read that article here in Christianity? Did you read that article in New York Times? Did you read that article? And then, uh, toward, we laughed about this, but uh, Portlandia came out with a skit that basically uh, said the, the same thing, and I'm going to show it to you. Oh, Maggie's running late. Okay. Hey, did you guys read that thing in The New Yorker last month about how golf is an analogy for marriage? I did. Mm-hmm. I did read that. Do you read the thing in McSweeney's? Oh. I was comparing CD tracks and album tracks. Did you read that? Yeah. Did you read that thing in Mother Jones about eco chairs and eco ways to sit? I did. Yeah. I did. Did you read that thing in Spain about all the festivals? Mm, uh huh. Did you read that thing in Pace? It was about the National. Oh, I saw that. Did you read that thing in Dwell about all the mid-century houses? Yeah. Did you read the New York Times? Yes. The New York Observer. Yes. Washington Post. Yes. Wall Street Journal. Of course, I read it. Did you read that steampunk article in Boyne? I War? did not like the end of it. Did you read that skywriting over the Willamette River? Yes. Did, did you read that fortune cookie? Yes. From last night. Yes. Did you read it? Yes. There were two. Yes. yes. Did you read that thing that guy wrote in the sand on the beach? Yeah. Did you read the Portland Mercury? Did you read the Willamette? Yeah. Did you read the Seattle Stranger? Beginning to end. Did you read the S F Weekly? I loved it. The Harvard Lampoon. Well Did you read Mad Magazine? I did not like the end of it. <laughs> you may not enjoy that kind of humor uh that much, but um that sounded like our conversations. Did you read this? Did you read this? Did you read this? Yeah, I read it, I read it, I read it. I did not like the end of it. Um yeah, that's become a phrase in my family. Uh when we don't enjoy the end of a movie or anything else, we always say, I did not like the end of it. Um That's the way I feel about Lamentations. I did not like the end of it. Um, there was no like happy ending. You're hoping like after five chapters that things turn and it ends on an upward, hopeful, glorious note. But as we'll see this morning, that is, that's not the case, and yet it is. Um, because in their brokenness, in their pain, in their sorrow, there is hope. Reminder that the nation of Israel has been totally decimated by the Babylonians. Um, they've been carried off into captivity, people like Daniel and Ezekiel, the city of Jerusalem, their walls have come down, the homes have been destroyed, the temple has been destroyed. It has been, it has been ravaged. They're, they're, they're there among the ruins of what was once a glorious city, and they're lamenting, the brokenness that by the way we saw God brought on them. God brought it on them because of their sin. God brought it on them because he warned them over and over and over again to repent and return to him that the promises of the covenant were if you followed him he would bless you and if you didn't cursed hundreds of years later it's finally been brought to a point where they've been decimated now they're sitting in the ruins and they're crying out in their brokenness they're recognizing that indeed that it was God who brought it but at the same time it doesn't ease the pain that they are undergoing lamentations is a certain kind of lament there are other laments in the Bible There are laments in the Psalms. There's laments in the book of Job. Um, They're different. They have different backgrounds, different types. But in this book, the problem and the brokenness that they're undergoing is a result of the hand of God on them because of what they've done. We look at this. um, You may have to help me here, Mary Jo. It's not uh, the journey of lament. I'm going to do this while I talk, I'm going to start this again and see if I can't talk among yourselves. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. It's gonna be a minute. Just follow along with me, Mary Jo, until it comes back up. This uh, we talked about in the first week in chapter one that there is a there's a journey in this idea of lament, and on the beginning of the journey, you need to begin with the truth of the righteousness of God. That everything God does is right. He is holy. He is separate. He he stands. Not even among us in the sense we can't compare to God because of his holiness and righteousness. And then as the journey goes on, we need to believe in the sovereignty of God. That God is still moving. God is still uh, among his people. He's doing what he wants to do. That even our pain is, is enacted within the umbrella of the sovereignty of God. And this is a tough one, I understand. A tough theological truth for us to get our arms around. And then the journey will eventually take us if we'll stay on the road to believe and behold the mercy of God. That God is still a merciful, loving God. That was chapter 1. Chapter 2, we saw that brokenness, uh, it awakens us from our apathy. That one of the things brokenness will do, it's like an alarm clock that says, time to go. We, we get apathetic. And sometimes it takes a loud alarm clock, the brokenness, to to take us to where God wants us. Then, we see that it helps us identify what our true problem is. What our true problem is. It it, it then puts us in a position to receive this mercy of God. I think I got it back. Thanks. Praise God. Uh, Puts us in a position to receive the mercy of God. Then last week, last week Gabriel said this, he preached from Lamentations 3 on hope in this glorious verse that sits in the middle of chapter 3 that shines like a, a lighthouse on a dark night when all is darkness in Lamentations up until this point and what follows where uh, Jeremiah, or whoever the lamenter is, says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have, what? Hope. Hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Up until this point, for two and a half chapters, it's been hopeless. And then this light shines forth and you're like, Oh, yes, we're going to change. And no, it doesn't. It just goes back in. But there's a there's this lamenting, but there's a lamenting with hope that goes on the rest of chapter 3. And then we saw that in chapter 4, there's this idea of return, that we repent, our, our minds are changed, our direction has changed, theirs is as well. But their return is blocked because for generations they've had misplaced trust. They've had idols of finances and political alignments and religious enactments and just different things in which they've placed their trust that haven't gotten them to where they're supposed to be, and they're blocking this relationship with God, but it's still their return is enabled ultimately by the mercy of God, which takes us to chapter, and you can listen to all these sermons, by the way. I'm, I know I'm. this is the teacher in me trying to get us up to date so that when we go into chapter 5, we can kind of see what's, what's going on here. And at the very end of chapter 5, as Jeanette read Earlier, it says, you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us. Beyond measure. Ending. These last couple of verses, you have this continual mixture of hope and God and you're doing this. And at the same time, maybe, unless. Here's what I think the lamenter Jeremiah, I'm going to go with Jeremiah. Is saying in this end, God is even if we're not, we're going to proclaim this. God is forever faithful. God is forever steadfast. God is forever what He has promised to be. This is the God we serve. We. These, these truths stand. Whether our situation changes, these truths still remain. Let me lead into this by saying truth is, truth, it's, it's kind of been put aside in our day and age. In this postmodern or post-postmodern age, whatever you want to call it, in which we live, truth has become whatever you want it to become truth is relative. Whatever your truth is, that's truth. And as a result, everybody is sort of living out their own truth, right? Well, let me just give you a clue. That's not the definition of truth. That truth, when when Jesus stands before Pilate, he says, I came to testify to the truth. And Pilate asked the life altering, universal question, what is truth? We still ask these questions about what is truth. In our day and age, because of our postmodern relativism, as it's called, you can be whatever you want to be and claim that truth. And if anybody tries to intrude on that truth, then we attack them for not realizing and receiving my truth from me. Let me just throw out some things as a result. And I I don't mean to offend, if I do, oh well. Um, (laughs) this This week, Target withdrew from four major cities. New York, Portland, Seattle, San Francisco. I would say for the most liberal cities in the United States. Why did Target withdrew withdraw? Because they couldn't control crime. They couldn't control the stealing that was going out of their stores. You may have seen the videos in, in Los Angeles or San Francisco or Portland or any other, or many of the other, what we would label left leaning cities where just gangs rush in and they, bash and grab and steal and take why how did we get to this place well because truth is relative my truth is I need your stuff my truth is I want those clothes out of Target my truth is I want that jewelry you you may be saying pastor I think you're being a little harsh I don't think so unless we sit back and say hey us red states we're kicking it you know they're getting what they deserve listen we we have our own issues on truth and we're struggling with where we place our trust and where we place our values there's a reason that that the two biggest prescription Uh, families of drugs that are prescribed in red states happen to be um, drugs that help with heart disease and drugs that help with depression. Why? Because we're fat and depressed. (laughs) I will apologize for that one. Why? Because we're seeking our own definition of joy and our own definition of truth. And as a result, we're ending up no matter where you end up on left or right, you will, listen to me carefully, you will not find utopia here on earth. Do you know the word utopia means nowhere? Thomas More named it that because it is nowhere. There is no such thing. Utopia and the the grab for a utopian society, whether you see America as a shining light on a hill or something else, the kingdom of God is not America. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of God. And there is a king who is forever faithful. There is a king who is forever steadfast. There is a king who is forever what he has promised to be. And if we rely on some other king, whatever our political leanings, we will end up back in the book of Judges where everyone is doing what they feel is right in their own sight. Are we, we, we look and say, wow, we're in a terrible... We're, we're just the book of Judges on steroids. So what do we do? How do we, how do we reorient... I, I don't know if we can reorient an entire society. I'm not even sure that's the call of God in my life. The God of God, call of God in my life is to proclaim the good news of the king who has come. To proclaim that Jesus is among us. To be salt and light. Listen, salt and light means that there's darkness, right? And decay in the society around us. I would need to be light or salt if there wasn't darkness or decay. But because there is, that's who I need to be. That's what God has called us to be. Listen, lament is the language of grace. Lament is the language of hope. Lament is the language, ultimately, of of truth. We need to be proclaiming truth. Truth is only truth if it's true. (laughs) You can write that down. It's quotable. (laughs) It's not true if you say it's true. It's true if the creator of the universe proclaims it as true. That makes it true. Because you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. So what, what do we do? How do we get back on track? I, I, I don't have a, I wish I had, to, oh, here are the three easy steps to get you out of your pain, to get you out of your sorrow, to get out, out of the brokenness that you're in. I don't have them, and the lamenter, did, Jeremiah didn't have them as well. Except, he said, no matter what, here's where we're going to stand. And so let me just give you some ideas that I've already kind of hinted to in this outline. Just remember that God is forever faithful. Come back to the place where you you say, remember, O Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Now, let me ask a kind of rhetorical, obvious question. Has the Lord forgotten Don't you find it a funny phrase? Remember, O Lord, what has happened to us? God hasn't forgotten. He's the omnipotent, omniscient. He knows everything. He cannot forget. He hasn't forgotten. But this phrase is a typical biblical phrase that that you'll see from Noah to, to Moses. Remember the golden calf incident? Where they Moses went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments of all things, comes back down. They built a golden calf, worshiping it. God is like, go on. I'm li- I'm I'm going to give you the land, but I'm not going with you. And and Moses says, oh remember, oh Lord. Remember. Why does he call out for God to remember? It, it, it's not just crying on the mercy of god which it is but at the same time i think it's us saying oh yes remember the faithfulness of god, god you are a faithful it's crying out and positioning us in a place to remember the mercy of god to remember the faithfulness of god. some of you are here today and you've gone through i'll say tough but that would be underselling maybe the pain and the horror that you've gone through in your life those memories can't be erased but what can be done is you can focus on the forever faithful god your past can't be changed but your future can be it can be aligned with what he wants for you. Historically, in my life, I, I, I'm not much of a crier. I don't really cry that often, or at least I don't. I didn't used to. Now I've gotten old and I cry at everything, which cracks my wife up to no end. <laughs> we'll be sitting there watching TV and She'll look over at me during a commercial and she'll be like, are you crying? And I'll say, yeah, but the dog taught the horse and then he came back and now they're going to have a beer together and it's just, cool. <laughs> you know, whatever. The com- there's this story just draws me in and cracks. It just makes me so, uh, so emotional. And there's so many of those things. But have you ever watched a person try not to cry? It's very unattractive, is it not? (laughs) Am I the only one who thinks that? For the most part, crying is unattractive, but trying not to cry is really unattractive. Why? Because there's something about crying that humbles us. It says, I am no longer in control, but my emotions are coming out and taking over me. That's what's happening really in these laments is that the emotion, there, there is a humility. More than humility, there's a humiliation that's occurred in their nation. And the only place they can turn in their tears is back to this forever faithful God. Remember that God is faithful in your life. Listen, if I don't get to another point here today, this, this is life changing for some of us. Because our faith and our trust has been misplaced. If we place it in finances or we place it in political realms or we place it even in spiritual leaders, if you placed your faith somewhere that it shouldn't be placed, God will bring a certain... He'll start by calling you and asking you to repent and turning back, but if necessary, he will bring pain and brokenness into your life. To let go of the things that you place trust in other than him. So that at some point you can return to him and say, God, you are a faithful God. Then, recount. Recount that God reigns forever. He's not only... Here's one of the things about God being faithful. Is that because he is in control... His faithfulness can be changed, can be enacted in our lives. You, O oh Lord, reign forever. This is verse 19. I was verse 1, now I'm skipping to verse 19 in between, bunch of horrible things. You know, there's verse 1, you're, you're forever faithful, horrible things. Come back to you, O oh Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Again, I started this sermon series, chapter 1 talks about the sovereignty of God. I'm back to it. God is sovereign because he can actually do what he's promised he's going to do. I can promise you the world and say, I'm going to do this for you tomorrow. And you may look at me and say, you know what, Pastor Bart is trustworthy. Pastor Bart is faithful to his word. Pastor Bart doesn't lie. He's got a track record of trying to do what is right. But there's a problem here. Tomorrow is not in my control. No matter what I might intend, no matter the best thoughts and desires and discipline in my life, tomorrow could be out of my control. It is out of my control. It's a myth to even think i got control over tomorrow. So when I say, I promise you, I'm going to do this for you tomorrow, the problem is, is that I am not a sovereign God who controls tomorrow. And yet we have a God who does. We have a God who's forever faithful, and he rules, and he reigns. Now, here's the thing about a forever faithful, ruling God. He can do what he wants. I mean, Jeremiah, back in Jeremiah, said this to Israel. Oh, house of Israel, this is God speaking. Can I not do with you as the potter does? Declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Listen, when we come, this is a tough one for us sometimes, when we come to recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ what does that mean well he's Lord right we throw that term around without really thinking about Oh, wait a minute that means he's the he's in control he's in charge and I need to give my my life my life to him but when I do he's the potter I am the clay This is the part that runs so contrary to our American culture and American ideals that we give lip service to it, but we don't really follow it. Our typical mode of operation, if you will, is not to say, God, what are you doing and let me get on board. It's to say, God, here's what I'm doing. Would you bless it? And as a result, we think we're in control. God, I just need your blessings on this. If you'd help me out here, it'd really get me moving. Rather than saying, God, what are you doing? I want to join in with your plans and purposes on this earth. Most of my prayers, I got to admit, are God bless this, bless that. God help this, God help that. Do this, do that, do this, do that. Rather than saying, God, where is your hand at move right now? Where, where, Where do I need to join in? with your glory on this earth? Don't you think it'd be, it's, I guess this again is a rhetorical obvious question, but don't you think it'd be kind of more powerful if I joined in what the almighty creator of the universe is doing rather than trying to get a sprinkle of blessing on this lame effort that I've got going on? it's hard to at times remember that God is the one who reigns forever. It runs contrary to us, but there are these times of brokenness where we sit back. About nine years ago um, in the spring uh, my mother was uh, in hospice care. She was dying. And um, I was at her bedside alone. Um, my family was exhausted. We were taking rotations, kind of staying by her side. And at this particular case, I had the night shift. And I, I, I knew it was her last night on earth. Um, she was unconscious. I'd go to her bedside. I'm probably going to start crying now but i'd go to her bedside i'd sing over her i'd pray with her i'd thank her and then i'd sit back down and i'd stay away because i just didn't want her to i didn't want her to leave this earth by herself so i stayed with her and but there is a moment where i'm sitting in this year now i've been a pastor at this point for 20 something years christian for a lot longer than that and But I'm sitting there and I start to think, oh God, I hope everything I believed about you and preached about you and said about you is true. In my brokenness and in that moment, I'm like at a point where I'm saying, God, let this be true. Let it be true. And I got to this, Place where I was saying God I trust in you no matter the pain of this moment the loss of this moment the thoughts of this moment I trust in you you may be undergoing that kind of pain or even worse this morning where you're saying where, where is God and how could he possibly be moving in this moment one of the greatest hymns of our faith was written by William Cowper Cooper the poet underwent great depression had many suicide attempts um, never really recovered mentally but was one of the greatest hymn writers of uh, the 1800s wrote this hymn where he says God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform he plants his footsteps in the sea and he rides upon the storm i love this language one of the later verses says this judge not the lord by feeble sense but trust him for his grace behind a frowning providence he hides a smiling face our god is faithful our god rules and reigns And can change everything as a result I'm going to encourage you to do this renew your relationships with the promises of God trust in the every word of God is what yes and amen his promises stand firm forever the lamenter says this, Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may return. Renew our days of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. You know, he's, he, I think he's saying this, you're angry beyond measure. But he's, he's, he's leaning back into the promises of God. He's saying, I, I, I know I'm saying this, but I'm going to trust that all your promises are yes and amen. And if indeed it's Jeremiah... Remember what God said to Jeremiah back in uh, Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Jeremiah, who I think is the one writing the laments, he remembers the word of God. Yes, Jeremiah is the one who proclaimed the destruction, coming destruction, but also proclaimed... The coming restoration. That God would do it and in such a way that it's totally different. Miles away, Ezekiel is proclaiming the same word of God I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. The word of God to Ezekiel during the same time as the laments are being written. These promises of God stand. That, that I will do this. Sometimes all we have to stand on are the promises of God. Situation sucks. That's a biblical term. Um, that's basically what Lamentations is saying. This stinks. This is horrible. By the end of Lamentations... Nothing has changed. The city hasn't been restored. The walls haven't been rebuilt. The temple's not back in. People are still in exile. Okay, I've got nothing to stand on. I mean, read chapter five. We've never experienced anything like this in our lives. Never gone through whatever pain we've gone through is not what they're going through. And yet they come to a place, I think, where they're standing on the truth of what God has said is going to happen. God, I'm gonna believe in your promises. I'm gonna believe in your word. There are times when in people's lives, in people's marriages, in my children's lives, in the situations and circumstances I have going around me where my best preaching and best counseling And best humor is changing nothing. All I have to stand on, God, you promised. I I believe I heard. I believe in your promises and your faithfulness and your ability as the God who rules and reigns to change. I don't know when it will happen. I don't know when it will come to pass. But I'm going to continue to stand in your promises today. That's why in the middle of this darkness, the lamenter can say, but this I call to mind. And therefore I have what? I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. know what's unbelievable when you really think about it? Is that God would leave heaven and come to earth and put himself in a situation where he would undergo this pain and brokenness and horror for himself. We're, we're, We're the only faith on earth that actually worships a God who went through this level of pain. Jesus was crucified. Jesus was tortured. Jesus died. But the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Praise God, Jesus rose again. That's the gospel. That's the kind of God we put our faith and our trust in. So when we sing songs of gratefulness to God for his goodness in our lives, This is not some wishful thinking this is hope and hope is not wishful thinking hope is a confident assurance that what God has promised is just yet to come to pass because we serve a faithful ruling God Thomas Chisholm was born in Kentucky about a year after the end of the Civil War in 1866. He um, didn't come to know the Lord until he was 26 years old. So he wasn't a child of faith. He came to faith later in life. And as a result, as time went along, he wanted to really serve God. When he came to know Jesus, he gave himself to Jesus. And so he wanted to serve God, but he had he didn't have very good health. So he went into the ministry in Kentucky and he only lasted about a year because of his health. His health failed and he had to resign. He was married. He had a couple of children. Um, But now he's got incredible health bills and he has no means of support. He's not doing what he believed God has called him to do. And as a result, to pay his bills, he enters the insurance business. Start selling insurance, which, praise God, over time, paid his bills. And it, it, it took care of him. And so he tries to figure out another way that he can do something for God. <laughs> and he had started out in journalism. So he thinks, I'm a decent writer. I'm going to take the word of God. And I'm going to put it to poetry. And so he begins to write poems. Thomas Chisholm never did anything what we would call monumental. He didn't build a big church. His health wouldn't allow it. He didn't make a lot of money. He didn't didn't change the world in what we would call his activities. But he put pen to paper. And in 1923, he wrote a poem that he then sent to a pretty well-known songwriter of his time, William Runyon. And as a result, we have one of the greatest hymns of faith that he based on Lamentations 3, which says, Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father, there's no shadow of turning with thee thou changes not thy compassions they fail not great is thy faithfulness O Lord unto me this morning we're going to sing this hymn of faith and this this is the ministry that I pray that God would move in and among us that as we sing this hymn of faith and i know you've sung it hundreds of times before we actually had this hymn sung at our wedding but that you would realize that god's faithfulness is real to you today god's faithfulness is here among us today god's faithfulness is there for your children for your marriage for your job Even if the situation as you leave this place doesn't change, God's faithfulness fails not. His compassions, they fail not. Great is his faithfulness. So this morning, let's stand. Let's sing this song as a people of faith. Not because of our situations, but because of his rule and reign and faithfulness and promises to all of us.